0: Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. We are blessed with good quantities of food that, well, frankly, is not always the best food for us. But we are also in many ways very lucky that it is easy for us to get the food. The prevalence of obesity is staggering. 36% of American adults over 20 years of age are obese, and 69% of the same group are overweight. Nearly 20% of teenagers are obese so we have a public health crisis at play. One of the serious challenges is that too much body weight is so commonly associated with diabetes. Dr. Katherine Jones is an endocrinologist here in Florida, and she graciously is here today to help us understand this. Dr. Jones, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Let's begin with some basic definition questions. What is diabetes? And though it seems that it's so commonly associated with excessive weight, is it always associated with excessive weight?
1: diabetes is a condition where the pancreas the islet cells of the pancreas specifically do not produce enough insulin insulin acts like a key to the door it helps move glucose into the cell it opens the door to the cell and allows the glucose to pass into the cell and consequently then your body can burn it for energy if you don't have enough insulin around to move that glucose, then you develop diabetes. or I should say diabetes mellitus. Diabetes also can have different components. There can be insulin resistance. You can have other factors, a post-receptor defect. There can also be a dysregulation of glucagon that can be part of this whole diabetes process. But basically, it means that you don't have enough insulin around to move the glucose in adequately to maintain a normal blood sugar.
0: We hear so often of diabetes type one, diabetes type two, juvenile diabetes. What are the differences?
1: Diabetes type one is where you actually don't make virtually any insulin anymore. There are a variety of processes that may affect the pancreas from surgery to anti-islet cell antibodies that have attacked the pancreas that create almost complete lack of insulin. This makes the patient absolutely dependent on the insulin exogenously or injections. Type 2 diabetes, the patient still makes insulin. Usually there's a very interesting curve. Usually the decline in pancreatic islet cell function takes a while. It's not usually acute. You may lose approximately 50% of your pancreatic islet cell function before diabetes is actually even diagnosed. You may still produce it, but you may need help in order to still control the glucoses, such as diet, exercise, medication. And that's what constitutes type 2, is that you still have insulin around. You just don't have enough. And juvenile is where you don't have any insulin, essentially, at all. And so you have to have the shots.
0: Okay, so juvenile diabetes is basically the same as diabetes type 1. Yes. How does weight influence these presentations? If your pancreas is still making insulin and you put on a lot of weight... Where does the diabetes come into play?
1: You just don't make enough. Your requirements may be much higher because of the excess weight or because of the increased amount of food you're taking in or the lack of exercise. Yet your production may be much lower than that. You're still producing insulin, but you just don't make enough. Okay. And so consequently, the blood sugars rise because you're not adequately moving the glucose into the cells. Not all type 1 patients are juvenile. Older patients who still can develop type 1 diabetes mellitus. Not all type 2 patients are overweight. Usually the rule of 80-20 stands or is what most endocrinologists use for this. 80% of type 2 patients may be overweight. 20% may be normal weight or even underweight those patients with, if you break it down, 80% are type two, 20% are type one.
0: Interesting, because I think there has been too much of an automatic assumption that overweight is automatically associated with diabetes. And obviously it's a very high association, but one has got to look at the individual cases clearly.
1: Yes, and you may find that, or at least we do in our hospital experience, many times you have patients who people would automatically assume are type 2, but they're really type 1. The oral agents or pills don't work, and they really need to be on insulin or else they're just unable to utilize their glucose and maintain their weight.
0: Sometimes we get accused of being a little dramatic and maybe frightening people excessively, but diabetes is not a casual disease. How medically dangerous or significant is it?
1: Diabetes mellitus is very insidious in doing its damage. It will affect anything from the eyes to the kidneys to accelerating atherosclerosis to causing peripheral neuropathy. The fallout from that subsequently is dramatic. I mean if you look at diabetes mellitus in terms of the percentage of blindness, diabetes mellitus is a leading cause of blindness. It's a leading cause of dialysis. Patients in the intensive care unit having bypass surgery, a very large percentage of them have diabetes mellitus. All of these factors play into it. So controlling the glucose can really make a dramatic difference in lessening the complications. It's the complications of diabetes mellitus that really get us into trouble.
0: So is there any way that we can predict who is more likely to get diabetes than not? have such data?
1: There are certainly risk factors. Patients with family history of diabetes mellitus certainly are at higher risk patients who are overweight, we always have to screen and look for that. And basically, we always have to be aware even on doing basic labs. When you have an annual physical and you come in for fasting labs, you need to look at that glucose. And if you see a fasting glucose of 100 to 125, that automatically places you in the pre-diabetes range or impaired fasting glucose range. Then you need to do more investigation. Hemoglobin A1Cs, which are a means of measuring where the average glucose has been over the last two or three months, And that is now being used as a criteria for helping differentiate those patients who have pre-diabetes or even diabetes mellitus who may be missed by that isolated glucose that you're doing as part of their general labs.
0: Is there any non-laboratory-based set of symptoms that people might begin to, shall we say, be aware of that could suggest that I may be getting diabetes? Do they feel different?
1: Sometimes they may have more fatigue. Sometimes they will have blurred vision, occasionally more thirst, more frequency of urination, nocturia or getting up at night to urinate. Granted, those symptoms can be part of aging sometimes or other conditions. But certainly if they're having that, you certainly are obligated to take a look at their laboratory studies.
0: Can diabetes be brought on by other medications? We often, in medicine, look at the full panel of medications that people are taking, and we know that certain types of medications because, well, for example, they have an anticholinergic side effect, so it can interfere with thinking, make the mouth dry, difficulties urinating, constipation. Do we have that same cluster of connections to other medications, or is diabetes pretty independent of that?
1: The medications may actually bring out that tendency. The tendency may be there underlying this, but say then if they get the steroid injection in their knee, they have to go on a medral dose pack for their bronchitis. Those type of medications certainly may raise their insulin resistance and obviously create at least, say, a steroid-induced hyperglycemia.
0: And what about stress? We blame stress for a lot of things. Is it fair here?
1: Stress probably is not that big a factor unless you really have the underlying tendency.
0: Okay. If someone comes to you and they are beginning to see these signs, we get into really what is the core of the treatment you have available to you some very good medications, like all of us in medicine, not perfect, but some very good medications. But I've heard it described that diabetes could be, and this is not official, okay, could be categorized into two groups, a lifestyle diabetes and a non-lifestyle diabetes. And in this country, with the obesity epidemic that we're having, it seems that so much of it is lifestyle. How do you approach treating somebody with diabetes?
1: Our first objective is, of course, to review what their lifestyle is. If they're sitting at a desk for hours and hours and hours, obviously if they were up and moving around, that would certainly be helpful. The studies have shown that if you exercise, such as walking, for 30 minutes three times a week, you lessen your chances of getting diabetes by 20%. That's
0: significant. That's very significant.
1: Very significant. Making healthy choices with your diet so that you're not obese. Trying to lose weight helps lessen the load on the pancreas. And in those cases, if people lose weight, often their glucoses will go down. You may go from qualifying for pre-diabetes or impaired fasting glucose and then go back into, say, a normal range. Now, if they regain the weight it should come back. Those people probably have an underlying tendency anyway. We have made so many advances now.
0: So if someone has diabetes and they lose weight and they exercise, is it conceivable that they will no longer need to take whatever they're on, the pills or insulin shots?
1: That's certainly a possibility in type 2 diabetes. Obviously, type 1, where they really don't have any insulin production from their pancreas, they will need insulin. The type 2s, if they are able to make those adjustments, may require much less medication. They may get be able to get off their medication. That's what we always hope to do. We always like to try to control someone with the least amount of medication possible.
0: So someone comes to your office and they are overweight and they're developing diabetes. I would imagine that you get frustrated at trying to get them to change their lifestyles. I know we do.
1: It's always a challenge.
0: Why? What seems to be the issue? If I can go off on a quick tangent, it's so confusing to me. It's ironic. We live in a, in a society that is weight and body shape oriented and it's a cultural value, and yet we have 70% of our adult population is being overweight. It doesn't make sense. Why do you think people are so quick to slip into the overweight element? What do you see when people come to you? What what are their reasons for not being able to lose weight? Doc, I can't lose weight.
1: Many times I actually find that people today are so busy. They work long hours. They many times have jobs where they are sedentary. And frankly, they need to earn a living. If they don't put in those hours, their job may be at risk. We try to encourage better eating habits, we try to encourage more breaks, we try to help them prioritize things because sometimes if you sit at the desk too long, you actually become less productive. So if we can encourage taking a break, taking a walk, perhaps eating a healthier lifestyle, you know, many times they also go for the convenient. They don't have time to go to the store, prepare the food, and then put it on the table for the family. They need food now. A lot of it is just the American lifestyle. We really are working so much and are so busy and have so many things going on. I really do feel that the good habits are sometimes put aside, are sacrificed to this lifestyle.
0: It seems that every couple years, there's a different medication that comes to the market that claims to have the ability to control weight. We have a couple new ones now. 10, 15 years ago, there was FenFen. It seems that we're not changing the lifestyle, but we're going to yet another medication to take care of a problem. It scares me about where we're going with this whole trend, a whole approach to dealing with the diabetes and, the, and being overweight by taking, again, yet another pill. I'd just like your thoughts on that.
1: I agree. Sometimes those medications are helpful to get you going with the weight loss. What we have to do though is also make the lifestyle changes because that's what sustains this. We're thinking long-term with this. We're not looking at losing 30 pounds now and then having it come back on over the next year. We really have to encourage lifestyle changes and if we can somehow encourage people to follow a diet to enjoy more vegetables, eat perhaps throughout the day smaller meals rather than having one large meal at night. There are certain patterns that we can encourage that may make them more successful.
0: And very important. You know, I, again, we could say that over and over, and people have heard it over and over. It's the simple that makes the difference. Hypothyroidism and weight gain, how big of an issue is that?
1: Hypothyroidism certainly can slow your metabolism. But once you replace it appropriately, people really are considered normal. Okay. So if you gain weight, it's not your thyroid. It's the lifestyle most likely.
0: It's what you're eating. And what you're not doing. Yes. If someone is from a family that has a lot of diabetics, at approximately what age would you think that they need to start to be monitored? Does the pediatrician do that? Do we wait until something shows up when they're a young adult? Are there any guidelines for that?
1: I don't believe that there are actually any guidelines. However, if my family had a large number of patients who had diabetes mellitus, I would definitely start monitoring even as a child.
0: What is the future? Are we simply spinning our proverbial wheels and that we're not going to be able to manage this crisis until the lifestyle issues are really grabbed onto and, and honest changes occur?
1: For now, we have to depend on lifestyle changes and medications, obviously, because at some point, sometimes there's been enough deterioration of the pancreas that you just don't make enough insulin to control your glucoses. And bottom line, control is the end all. Because if you want to keep from having complications, you need control people who want to say, oh, I'm going to change and I'm going to exercise and I'm going to lose 40 pounds and I'm going to be all under control when their blood sugar is 200. That is just not realistic. You need at that point probably to intervene and use medications, get them under control, and then we're going to work on the diet and exercise, but then work on backing off on the medicines. But you want them controlled as soon as possible. There's a lot of research going on. Probably type 1 diabetes because of its use of insulin and and really depending totally on the exogenous insulin that makes it many times much more difficult to control is where a lot of the focus is going right now we really really want to try to help these people they're doing things from islet cell transplants to trying to find ways of handling the immunosuppression that's required with it. They're really looking into this and hopefully they will come up with some answer that stops that. Type 2 diabetes, because it's a little bit more complex in the notion that you have a lack of production of the insulin, you have a receptor defect or post-receptor defect that's affecting how well the insulin works when it does reach the cell level. You may have a dysregulation also of glucagon. Pancreatic cells put out glucagon even though the blood sugar may be at a normal range. There are many points of dysfunction in type 2 that I th- actually think that may be more difficult to ultimately find an answer.
0: This is a very real disease. It is something that needs to be looked at and, in a sense, feared. If we can control part of it, let's do it. Let's do it. It will make a person's life easier.
1: It may make it much longer in duration and really improve the quality of life if you can avoid the complications from diabetes, whether type one, type two. Some people say, oh, I have type two. This is not- As, as I ha- Yes, I have the good diabetes. There is no good diabetes. The thing is is that you get all the same complications. You can make some lifestyle changes. You can take medication. But the bottom line is that you really must control your blood sugars. That can improve your statistical chance of not getting complications so dramatically.
0: Dr. Katherine Jones is an endocrinologist here in Florida. She has been good enough to walk us through a very serious situation in our society as people are developing diabetes. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you.